0: Welcome to the J3 University Podcast. Each week, we bridge the gap between science and in-the-trench experience or physique enhancement. I'm your host, John Jewett. Let class begin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the J3U Podcast. With, my, with me, as always, is Luke Miller's co-host. Luke, how's it going? Pretty good, man. Just prepping my life away. <laughs> Save me. Just <laughs> prep has never stopped. It makes me question my life daily. <laughs> it's like, you, you, I don't care how long you've done this for. You still have moments where you're like, why am I doing this? Like, then
1: off season just seems so appealing. Oh my God. And it's like, oh my God, I can't wait to like feel normal again. And have yeah. like, like I was last night we went to Target and I was sitting in the Jeep. And I just sat there for like 10 minutes before I got out because I was just trying to muster up the energy to like, get out of the jeep and i was so brain fogged i couldn't even remember what we were going to target for so I, I had to like rewrite down the list before i went in and make sure that i got everything and we still forgot the one thing we were supposed to get
0: yeah i've done a,
1: like you walk
0: into a room for to, to grab something and you like stop in the room and you look around and you're like why am i here in this room like there's something but i don't know so i'll go back um, but it, and, and even the fatigue hits me at like the weirdest times too. The most the most times when I don't want it to. Um, yep. Usually working I'm okay, but a lot, it's always like pulling up to the gym. I'm like, oh god! It's like it's like I, now it's all hitting me now. It's like why right now? Like I'm trying to prime <laughs> myself for this, but once I get moving, it's all it's all good. Yeah. But for anyway, topic of the day is. Health markers, and this is specific for PD using enhanced bodybuilding practice, and uh, we got a few questions on it. I wanted to dive into it because I think it is a very, a very important topic. Uh, to be extremely well in bodybuilding, you need to be able to do this for a long period of time, and you 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 can plug away for a few years, get an advanced level, and just be completely you know, delusional to the health issues going on in the background. But I guarantee you, all, all those guys are, are going to regret it later in life or you're gonna end up like in your 40s and you see these guys passing away and it's just so unfortunate. You, you just hope like there was something that could have, that we could do now that maybe they could have done if they, they weren't. And who, who say what they were doing, right? But um, that I just wanna be aware of. I don't, I don't wanna be ignorant or naive to what performance enhancing drugs are doing. To me, to my body as a whole, and make sure I'm monitoring the right things that I can adjust what I'm doing if I need to, or find more optimal ways to do it, so I don't have as as much um, you know need on certain aspects of, of drugs. So that's what we wanted to dive into today, and just start start talking just on you know where what we're monitoring, how you even go about that process, and of course why you would be monitoring it just for some like some some groundwork and if you like this stuff and we can always dive into each area too, like in depth of like interpretations and what to do with those interpretations and um, even some case study stuff as
1: well yeah, for sure i think one thing to kind of point out too as we phase into this is that you know most of this is not acute in nature it's chronic in nature right so it's something that needs to be consistently done across the entirety of the career like taking a blood pressure once a month is not not probably your your greatest um tracking and as far as like not being consistent and then forgetting about it for six months and not taking it again and all that kind of stuff it's it's something that it builds up over time and not over a short period of time
0: yeah there's like some short-term things that do go on but the real detriments that we that are my biggest concerns are, are the, the long term aspects. And like I know I just mentioned it was going to be like enhanced bodybuilding, but regardless, just as a bodybuilding as a whole, um, if you're car- carrying large amounts of body weight for years, pushing high amounts of food, high training stress, like all, all these things, like mainly the, the large body weights, like typically large bodies, they put more strain on all the body systems and do that for years after years. Uh, that's when you still see, you know, detriments, like just big individuals don't live as long. Um, see that in animals too, like big animals don't live long. Um, so it's not just just being large bodies, but being an enhanced bodybuilder, you're typically an even larger body than uh, with excessive food intake, excessive PED intake. And these leave you down year after year of this chronic issues that are accumulating. And some things you don't, you might not even catch in your lab work. So you want to make sure it's like comprehensive enough, but just in bodybuilding in general, we see, you know, the list goes on. Like, I know people think of the acute things like, oh man, my hair's falling out or, you know, I have some gyno and these are like some like really urgent things like that you want to address, right. Or, um, you know, ED issues, which could be hormonal, but it also could be, if you've been doing this for years, some of the chronic stuff coming up cardiovascular wise, but you know we see um, uh, lipid alterations acutely, then that is the chronic thing that over time, uh, higher blood pressures, hypertension, leading to heart enlargement, um, cardiac damage itself occurring. Then we have increases in red blood cell counts and uh, that's driving up blood pressure as well. And maybe possible risk for increased blood clots and strokes. Um, drops in immune function, You have drops in ki- uh, kidney function, kidney damage occurring, and then of course there's uh, liver toxicity among some of these drugs, uh, insulin resistance occurring, increases in, in visceral fat stores as well, and that's all coupled together. And uh, then of course with females we have the long-term effects of, of being virilized and not having proper estrogen, progesterone on bone, brain, and uh, so there, there's, there's a number of things that these systems get affected by. And my biggest like long-term ones would be the brain, the heart, and the kidneys. And that seems to be the, the most chronic damage that can occur and the most life-threatening. Like I know people bring up liver function and that's real acute, but the liver is fairly resi- re- resilient in, in recovering. But damage to the kidneys is stuff that you don't get back. Same with heart, same with brain. And even the brain, that's something you might not run into to like far later in life. So there's a lot of area there that I just covered, but just the, the realization that it's affecting multiple organ systems of what we're doing. And we want to have some assessment now and how frequent should we do in that assessment to try to
1: mitigate some of the, these effects. Yeah. And I think one of the questions that comes up for that is like, okay, I know I need to be conscious of it, but what, what are we doing on a... Week to week, month to month, semi periodically, very frequent, very more frequently are we doing to, to manage these and, and why? And then we can kind of probably start to build that out from the things we kind of do on a week to week basis, uh, like the, the consistent tracking, um, into like the things we're doing semi frequently um, to kind of give us a, an idea of that scope of time because we're going to have times of high stress. That we'll need to check and we'll have times of lower stress that you'll want to check and see the discrepancy between high stress and low stress and how far that takes you out of normal health parameters and things along those lines So I think if we start to build it out from the more acute things we're doing on a week-to-week basis into probably the the more the bigger things that we're doing like quarterly or every few months or even yearly and that'll kind of show them the levels of progression and things that we're considering when trying to keep everything in check. Would
0: You almost want to work the other way, like the big picture, and then that kind of explains the smaller pictures yeah,
1: we could do that too
0: i i, I could go either way. i just
1: the first thing I think of on the big picture are like the the echoes and the, yeah. the echo yeah, yeah, that we're doing yeah once a year to make sure that we're not getting any lVH um and and ensuring that like the calcium scorings and things like that, because when we look at like big picture, we look at kidney, heart, brain, right right. Kidney and heart is going to be primarily cardiovascular risk function that we're going to be concerned with. High trending blood pressures affecting kidney function, high trending blood pressures causing LVH with the heart. So we can look at blood pressure management from there, but you just listed all of the things that could be chronic in nature that are going to just continue to make that worse. Elevated CBCs, lipid profiles. So we need to be making sure that the larger scale tests do happen frequently. And I don't know where you're at, but... I'm at the point now where I'm getting an echo every year and it's, it's something that I'm checking to make sure because at the moment I start seeing LVH, I'm going to be reconsidering the.
0: Yeah. It's um, I know if someone's like just getting into it, that's kind of a different mindset it's like, Oh, well, I need to go get an echo right now. Or right. Um, if someone's been doing this for years, Oh, well, yeah, it's probably already your priority past due for this, but. Yeah, the 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 cute things that we see change in the labs are building up to these larger scale things that you might check. But so the, for the for the large scale items to look at, at least for heart function, is something that's like accessible at least here in the United States that that we can do. And the the two that I would monitor for for sure once yearly to have done is a is an echo. Um, it's an old ultrasound that just maps the shape of the heart and the function of the heart um, can check like cardiac size, wall thickness, just your, uh, pumping ability, proper valve function, um, because we can look at acute labs and you can see some little alterations and there's people that don't have alterations in labs, but still get heart attacks, right? Or there's people that have less alterations and, and never have a heart attack, you know? And so what's like the next step? And that's, Uh, a good area to see, like, do we have narrowing of the arteries from plaque buildup? You know, is the the actual compounds that we're taking changing the ability of of heart function? And stuff you're not going to know if if otherwise. So, um, but, you know, access-wise, it can be tough. Um, Do you know what you paid for your echo? Was that under insurance or?
1: It was under insurance, but I still paid $500 out of pocket
0: okay yeah so it's a pricey one um i think it might be close to like i've heard someone else say like 1700 2000 like private
1: pay yeah it's 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 in that ballpark because i know that i've suggested it to people and it's just like not within their realm they can't justify spending two grand on an echo which i get but at the same time it's like one of those things like if you're at that state and you can afford paying for PEDs, you should probably be saving up for things to manage your health across the long term. And, and maybe you look at the frequency at which you, you pull those, right? But um, kind of like you said, the lab work is suggestive, but it's not as telling as something like an echo. We're actually looking at the function of the heart and, and being able to map it out and, and understand truly where we're at, right? Because we can do everything we can to manage labs, but if it's still getting the negative effect, we need to look at adjusting that did you find the project i'm I'm, i
0: was looking up and it was like it ranges you know like at least in in this area for like texas bear county um the price ranges were like from 360 all the way up to to 2000 um which I, i imagine if you you called some some mri imaging centers uh you could get some price estimates and sometimes Going to more of your low income areas, they have some like health saving um, plans in mind. We use and have some like um, some wellness programs around now that just do some very cost effective testing and includes like an echo. My parents did something. It was like, it's called like the wellness program or something. Anyone could do it. It was like $200 and you go in, they do like a couple labs. Um, they did an echo. And I was like, man, they got a ton of stuff done for pretty cost effective. So I think even now, like more of the preventative and being your own advocate for your health is, is coming around. Yep. And I, I know to just, to go into a doctor's office and say, hey, I wanna get an echo. And they're like, why? And to ask for one, asking your doctor for an echo, you're kind of like playing doctor. And so you might get some resistance off of that alone or they might also like want to like go down the rabbit hole like well let's start with the basic thing first of like let's look at your lab work and they need to justify it too Um, and and even then you know I'm not sure but there's probably some at least going through insurance you need some type of like uh, diagnostic code to enter right to even bill the insurance because if there's no justification the insurance is going to cover it. So it's like, why'd you have this done? Oh, because I just want to test everything. Like, well, no, 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 that's not, not going to work. Um, but for some of these image centers, you would need a referral from a doctor, and getting that referral could be challenging. But uh, there are there are ones at least here in the United States where you can just go and and just have it tested. Uh, it took me. Just,
1: it took me three cardiac doctors before I got one to give me an echo.
0: Really? What what was the uh, the resistance of uh, of the my age, your age. Okay. Both of them said that it wasn't about billing or anything.
1: Yeah. They were like, I don't really have a reason to justify billing it. And you're too young to really need it in the first place. And to them, you know, this is a, uh, your blood pressure was 135 over whatever that's not elevated. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's elevated. That's, that's not, I mean, that's not terrible, but that's, that's definitely elevated. Um, and so and they just justify it with like the plus 10 points rule that most medical doctors kind of run by. Right. But uh, yeah, it took me three. And even on that third one, um, it took him seeing an EKG that he was concerned about to order it for me. Okay.
0: Yes. Yeah, there's a, there, there's a, at least for me, there's a, an acute care hospital that you can go in and just have lab testing uh, or not lab testing, but actual um, like, mm-hmm. MRIs, imaging echoes done, and it, it's pretty low cost, so I had, that's where I had my CT calcium score done, so off the echo, that's something I would say, if you can do it yearly, or it, hey, if you got yours, and it look look stellar, and I understand the cost, and maybe every other year, you know, or every 18 months, but you think about how much you put in a body and how much money it costs. I mean, just to go to a show or I have someone that'll make an argument like, Oh, but you know, they're like, want to cut costs on this, the one thing, but then they're taking like, I see they they'll taking like four, I use a growth hormone every day. I'm like, uh, Hey, your growth hormone alone is an $800 bill per month. Like just cut your GH down in half and get a test done and you'll then go back up to on your GH or something, you know, like, yeah, the the way people justify costs and budgeting it's like it's definitely like what uh what is priority in their eyes and this stuff sometimes it's not priority because
1: it's so far in the distance right it's it's not an acute result that's going to give you like a yay or nay right it's right are you trending what are we looking for like is and, and a lot of times like it's going to come back fine you're sitting there like especially like you get a couple that come back fine it's easy to start to justify the, the not getting sure. it but that's probably where the importance starts to become even greater right the further down the line that you go
0: yeah yeah as you get further further in time and you can kind of see this rate of change that's occurring and it might speed up like as you get older the gears is going to affect you even more being a larger body weight is going to affect you more like the natural decline of the human body is going to start happening like we naturally start losing kidney function like naturally like at some point heart functions you know going to decline somewhat we otherwise we just live forever right Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think it would be important to keep keep moderate now the other the other one that like i just brought up was a a cardiac ct uh, calcium score i had this one done not not too long ago and that for me this was like very reasonably priced um it was it was 50 to have done which it's, a, it's an X-ray of the chest determine level of calcified plaque in your coronary arteries. So they can, j- just like an X-ray shows bone, calcium will, will pick up on, on this and they can use that to generate like a prognostic tool for a cardiovascular event happening. Kind of gives you like a, a ten, like a 10 year risk of you, like if you had a calcium score of zero, you have like no risk for a cardiovascular event in the next like 10 years. Or if you know if you had a little bit then it, it, it's so on it builds it out from there um, yeah. you know the, the benefits within that one like it's 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 convenient like you can just sit and have the, you know the scan done it's fast like I was only in there for a few minutes um, gives you some risk but again um, you might still be at risk though that's the thing of, of like what are you looking at and it's just calcium buildup so it, it can take time to have actual uh, calcification of the arteries, but that does not mean that you, you know, if you had no calcium that you still didn't have like narrowing of the arteries or, or, or a, like dysfunction of the heart muscle itself. And so that's why we have our second check of our echo to see if we have these other things going on. Cause if you're young, it can take a while for like a plaque and calcium to develop, but you you could have still narrowing of the arteries and you wouldn't know otherwise or maybe you have some valve dysfunction and you're it's not stuff you're going to feel you can feel fine
1: yep and so from there it's like looking into kind of maybe starting to come down the scale a bit um one that i run into that frequently ends up becoming back positive is sleep apnea testing especially with some of my larger guys yeah it's not one that people consider a lot. And I don't know if you'd even consider that health testing, but for me, like the amount that sleep apnea can affect some of these other health markers, it's really important. Like if you're struggling with the sleep side or you have like a significant other that says you're constantly choking or snoring, like it's taking the time to get that checked out because it, it can be a negative effect on your health overall. It's so easy
0: to, at least when I like when I had mine, do, mine done, um, I wasn't even that heavy. Like I was around 210 pounds. I had some like rapid weight gain post show, mm-hmm. and I was, my fatigue was just crazy high. I was uh, falling asleep all the time. I could nap like three times a day and still sleep eight hours a night, and I still felt tired. It's like what the hell's going on? Like I sleep so much, and and I wouldn't wake up from it was the thing. And so it's like I'm not like waking up all the time, be like, man, I can't sleep for anything. It's like no, man, I'm knocked. I feel knocked out. And, um, and finally, finally, like the person I was with at the time was like, you know, Hey, you're, you're not, you stop breathing while you're sleeping. Like you'll just sit there, like mouth open, like, <laughs> like frozen. <laughs> like, a, it's like you wait from like, take a breath and then it's a gasp, right? <gasps> oh man. Like, and, and so, so usually, usually like as you're getting into deeper sleep, um, you, but for me, like I wouldn't, I'll would breathe out all those muscles in my, my, your tongue, everything relax and decreases your air supply. CO2 levels build up, CO2 levels build up. It wakes you up enough to take a deep breath. And then it's like the vicious cycle. Sometimes it wakes you up enough to actually get conscious. Um, sometimes it doesn't. And you end up kind of floating in this area where you're not fully, a, fully asleep, but you have elevated CO2 levels all night, which keeps um, the heart working harder which makes blood pressure higher for hours, right? Think about that eight hours a day. You're just like struggling to breathe. It's more strain on the heart. Also with poor sleep, you'd have higher stress levels, high cortisol levels, driving up blood sugars, um, increasing, it would definitely increase like inflammation. And that's why there's higher risk of uh, diabetes with people that have sleep apnea. And they, it's kind of goes back and forth too, right? So you not necessarily going to be obese if you have diabetes, but um, usually see that coupled metabolic syndrome occurring, right? Someone's obese, they also have insulin resistance, and they're also having sleep apnea occur you know, so simultaneously. But I just, uh, I found a sleep center by me. And that's when I was working at the hospital. And uh, so I, I was working with the pulmonologist, he had a sleep center. <laughs> um, and so I just called him like, hey, I think I might have sleep apnea, Uh, what is the procedure that, and they're like, well, just come pick up a sleep test, and so I didn't need to meet with the physician first, I think they changed that, but at least where I went, um, I just went in, I picked up the equipment, it was going to be just 180 out of pocket just for the test, but I I had insurance, I mean, even then, it wouldn't be that pricey, Um, took it home, slept with it for two nights, returned it, and that was it, then I was going to have a meeting with the doctor, of course, I go in because, hey, your medical records are yours, so I go in, hey, did you get my results? Oh yeah. You're going to be meeting with doctors. doctor. I was like, can I have those results? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and so on it, it said like the, the already printed out like diagnostic criteria, like severe sleep apnea, you know, 345 events per night. Like it was bad, really bad. Uh, but I, yeah, that's a great point. Cause I even wasn't even thinking about talking about that today, but it was dramatic, like seriously life-changing for me.
1: Yeah. Um, and it, and you can just like, the amount of change in my like, health markers once you get that fixed is unbelievable and how easy it is to manage everything from, from them moving on, just from reinstituting fast to sleep without that.
0: I have so much resistance from people to do it. Like people are just like, oh yeah, yeah, and then we just talk about it for months until it's done. And it's like, <laughs> like, do you want to eat food to grow? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm in the off season. I'm trying to grow. Cool. You're, we're going to eat. We're going to feed you. It's like, do you want to lift weights to grow? Yeah, for sure. I'm doing that. It's like, well, also sleeping makes you grow. You're like, oh, okay, okay. I'm going to skip that. You're like, what? Like, how, it's like not getting enough sleep is like not eating. You might as well not eat. You might as well like, hey, four sets is going to make you grow. Well, we're only going to do one. And be like, well, why are we doing that? Well, I don't know. It doesn't make sense, does it? Maybe we should also prioritize our sleep. It's like, it's crazy to me, but um, yeah, it, with, with even like one night of deranged sleep, like we see large increases in, in cortisol, decreases in protein synthesis, increases in, in protein catabolism. Like you're not building muscles efficiently if you're not getting your sleep. Same with fat loss too. So the physique changes I was able to, to bring about with prioritizing my sleep, like it's your number one recovery tool. So bullshit, like people, you know, we're not just shooting the shit when we're, we're talking about this, we are here for years. Yeah. People don't prioritize their sleep and they're not getting the results because of it. And that's part of your plan when you're coaching someone too. Like, hey, I checked the box on eating my food and training and cardio, and but then I sleep four hours a night. Well, you're not checking the box there. And that's a big fucking box to make sure you're checking. And so get your sleep apnea tested. That was my rambling rant. I was getting passionate about. It. I'm passionate about sleep. It's one of my biggest issues with clients is, is sleep, and then r- routine and consistency. That's another.
1: That's another rabbit
0: hole. <laughs>
1: um, um, but I think that moves us kind of into coming down a level. Yes. Uh, yes. So moving down a level into semi consistent testing and and blood work and some of that, and I know we have a lot of places that we can pull that from, but maybe kind of start into like some of the easier ones, some of the onlines like the private indie labs. Or yeah. And then kind of goes in there.
0: Yeah, so we know like the, the long term things are gonna be changing. So it's, it makes sense of like, what do we wanna be monitoring more acutely now to see mm-hmm. these changes? And I know long term, uh, we only mentioned stuff for the heart. Um, yeah. And there, yes, there is like further testing to do for kidney function, but I really think those would be determined off of off of labs that are acute. That's happening because you can go get like a kidney ultrasound. That's not necessarily something. At least that I haven't. It makes me think on it, but I haven't rationalized doing it until I see it in the, in the labs. But I will say if you're seeing it in labs, there's possibly already damage occurring. So that is something for like I I am gonna think on more and want to research more. That I know I mentioned brain, and we're not going to get you know. That's a, that's a tough one, uh, you know, to check yeah. like beta amyloid deposition or something in the brain. Um, I, I think at least for now, the most reasonable testing we can have is, is monitoring of the heart. Uh, I, I think the kidney monitoring, like with, with ultrasounds, that, that would be maybe, maybe tougher to get. I have to look into that more, but at least I'm confident saying at least for the, the cardiac monitoring what I've done myself.
1: Yeah, and just as a an expansion on that, that, kidney kidney one is like looking at the cystatin C test as an option for bodybuilders as well, as far as like monitoring kidney function for alongside the stereotypical ones you see on on regular lab work. Yeah, yeah, you
0: know, let's 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 hit the labs then, because that's kind of the next one to go down. Which you know we're talking about once a year. when something to be monitoring? Probably every. I would say every three months, I think that's a reasonable timeline for enhanced bodybuilders for a natural bodybuilder. usually I say every six months. Yep. Um, and, and even depending on age that might be down to like once a year, uh, if, if it's like a, a very young you know, teens, early twenties, like yep. you're not going to see these derangements. It, it would hardly justify testing frequently, but for enhanced bodybuilding, um, every 3 months i think is very reasonable and that usually can align with different phases that you're into mm-hmm. and just for lab testing in general having a having a, a blood draw this could be you know prior to because that's like four times a year right yep. which um I don't, if you have specific time points like for sure that you test that
1: to have I, like, I, I like to tech, test peak stress of the cycle okay For me, it's like, I need to know how far off you're getting. Um, And so like, yeah, that's about four times a year. But for me, I'm typically picking it around what are we doing and when are we doing it type of a thought process most of the time, like um, a peak stress and a non-peak stress. So I can see the discrepancy is like two of them for sure. And then just monitoring from there for the other two based on need or if we see something skewed and we need to follow up on it and this is where like maybe every time you pull labs you don't pull comprehensive panels yeah like a dollar sign perspective too for some people because it can you know depending on how good your doctor is and your insurance is about letting you get blood work it can get decently expensive um and so maybe like beyond that like if i'm having to test a little bit more inside that three months it might be just pulling one or two panels to make sure that whatever we saw skewed is returning back to normal.
0: Yeah. I think what a lot of guys do is wait till like they're in the lowest stress period. And have been there for eight to 12 weeks. You know, you're on just TRT, you're cruising on lower dosages, and then you pull your labs and you're like, sweet, everything's perfect. Let's pound on gear now. (laughs) Right. It's like, uh, How long have they been good for like i don't know but we're gonna just make the assumption that they've been good the whole time even while i was blasting it's like okay great but the reality of that is like you maybe just had a three four weeks out of your 52 week year where your lab markers have come within normal limits and then the rest of the year they're all skewed like yes the stuff can come back but what's concerning is that rest of the year and living with that year after year after year, and what does that result in? So that's why we're saying like, you should spread out your lab testing and see what it is during this peak stress and how your body responds. And off of that is gonna dictate what you're gonna doing intervention-wise. So if you're someone that, and what you're gonna even do for your cycle design. You know, you might be someone that reacts more so with with liver stress um, and, or maybe it's more with lipid alterations. And that would have an insight into even maybe the if I'm using an aromatase inhibitor, maybe what kind I would be using, or maybe not even trying to use one at all. Like maybe I really need to get away from that. Maybe you're like very responsive to orals and, and the liver toxicity from them. Maybe it's like, hey, we shouldn't use orals at all for you. Um, or this even gets compound, re- compound related because some compounds do have some stronger effects with it within areas. And... You know, we can get down into like, if you're more affected with kidney function, like I'm not a proponent in using Boldenone because it does seem to be more renal toxic. Mm-hmm. But if you're someone that chooses to use that and you see declines in renal function, well, that's maybe a compound you should just completely avoid. And so this is kind of like looking at these labs and how you're responding is driving the process of the dietary supplements and health interventions you should be having in place. The more frequent monitoring you should be having in place, and, um, so it, it starts a rationale and a needs basis for what we're trying to do intervention wise versus just this, these random things, you know, we're, we're now personalizing the, the health plan a- around what we're noticing in the lab. So I, I would say like, like you, Luke, like have it during your peak stress times, this could also be done when we, we're going to talk about it here in a minute. It's like when you're seeing even more acute things that we're going to be monitoring getting skewed and I'll, we'll explain what, what we're talking about here in, in a minute, but, but yeah, peak blast times, I think, you know, prior to starting a contest prep would be a good time because you're about to enter into a state of very high stress. And that's when you would probably want to look at all hormone levels, something in depth, especially females, like his hormone function, menstrual cycle, normal, regular. Um, then, uh, you know, I would also look at post prep as well, like People wait till like, after prep's resolved. I like looking at, like, right when prep's done to see, like, that's probably the, the ultimate of, like, when you're going to see the most stress-induced. Um, so, yeah, so spreading out, like, every 12 weeks. And then if you have a lab test done, you see some abnormality. Well, that might justify maybe just pulling that lab maybe in eight weeks again. It just depends on what it is. Uh, but there, there's going to be a rationale after we get these first ones done. And I, I think it's important just to bring up, like, If you are going into lab work, fast for it, for one, because some of the labs that we're going to be testing should be in the fasted state. Um, Not all of them, not all of them. So, and that gets real specific. So, you know, I won't go with that specific on it. Um, Also exercise, uh, resistance training, cardiovascular training, like all that can give some skewing to your labs. Um, I usually tell guys, try at least 48 hours of no training because I also am not going to tell you a week off a of training because there's some labs that can be skewed for up to like seven, 10 days. But I, I realized like we, you know, to tell someone to not train for a week just to have a lab test done, they already don't want to do the lab test most of the time. So uh, then, um, if you're watching the video, Luke's grabbed his water bottle because also hydration yeah. and that's a big impactor for like what we're looking at kidney function, even blood glucose wise. So I, I'd say like, try to get at least half gallon in, before having your lab test done, if you're, and you're going to be fasted and only water, that means uh, you know no caffeine or, or coffee, just just have water, and before you get it done. Um, then, uh, as far as getting access to the labs, um, if if you have a great doctor that's open, you know a lot of times they're okay drawing drawing different labs, or you can even be asking for specific labs. Usually, you're, if you have insurance, you're able to get one lab work covered per year, which that knocks one off. That could be maybe your comprehensive one, hopefully with your doctor. Um, you know, from that route, we also have like a lot of hormone replacement clinics, at least here in the United States, yep. that offer a lot of services too. Uh, we have just some lab testing services that that's all they do. Like we have a, any lab test now, you can just walk in and just get any lab test you want. And then we have some online services too, where you pick out your labs, you purchase them. There's some just physician order that probably just gets automatically signed and goes out. But it's the prerequisite form to take into like a lab corp or request that will just draw your blood. And then they'll email the results to you, yep. which that's, that's um, I'll try to go through insurance like once a year if I can to have that one covered. Then the rest of the time, I'm going through something like private MD labs or a uh, life extension um and and then having my labs drawn drawn privately like that and uh yeah you'll pay but again it's you know how often are we doing this and we could also narrow down the labs we tested and maybe we should go into the labs that you should be tested somewhat you know not not breaking them down but at least like hey what should be on your panel when you are
1: yeah so stereotypical comprehensive panels are going to be cbc cmp lipid profile i like a thyroid panel hormonal profile, obviously pulling the hormonal profile in the comprehensive yep. during a TRT state for most people would be nice. So you can see where your TRT dosing is putting you at and you can kind of adjust it from there. Um, but it, it, I say that, but like hormonal profiles during blasts as well can help you with like uh, AI usage if it's something you need to really limit as far as like where the compounds you're using are actually putting you relative to the elevation. But um, for the most part, those are gonna be the main labs that you'll be pulling. It's nice to do Cystatin C. If someone has a history of needing to track kidney values, but Cystatin tests are pretty expensive. Yeah. So I don't really suggest it unless I'm monitoring someone's kidney values very close, but that's typically the stereotypical panel for a comprehensive pool. Yeah. It just. It so to, to break that
0: down like a, a little more, like your CMP is your comprehensive met- metabolic panel so that'll include like all your electrolytes within it. Um, yep. your, some of these kidney markers that we're talking about, uh, blood urea nitrogen, creatinine, these are byproducts of protein metabolism and um, cellular metabolism. Usually that stuff, the kidneys are clearing out normally. And so you might see elevations in those levels. If the kidneys are declining, but we can also see elevations in BUN and creatinine just through having a high lean body mass, training, having a high protein intake. So it can kind of be a little convoluted in bodybuilders and athletes. And that's why, you know, Luke brings up using Cystatin C, is another marker that you can estimate GFR off of. And that's why we even measure creatinine, is because they take that number and they kind of estimate what your glomerular filtration rate is. To have a, a an idea of what what the kidneys are doing, and Cystatin so C is not um, affected by lean body mass like creatinine, and so you can estimate that GFR, how kidney function is, because this has been my issue. So I just have a creatinine level drawn, like it's always elevated, not excessively high. I, I trend nor I trend like over the past two years of testing, it's always been the same. It's not elevating, or it goes down, but then my GFR is like slightly lower. And it looks like if someone would see this, like you have acute kidney injury, like yeah. I've done shit for it. And it's like, okay, well let's draw cystatin C and that's really low. And if you estimate it off of that, well, kidney function looks normal. It's like, oh, okay. So um, I add that one on like once a year to do the calculation and see it. But I know um, if I'm trending well with the others, that for the most part, I'm not gonna go to the extent to pay for that extra lab. Cause for me to have it done, that was hundred eight dollars only for that lab,
1: yeah, so statin
0: C, you know, um, and that's pricing, so, but in, anyway, uh, the rest of your metabolic panel would be, you know, glucose, and also your, your proteins that are in the blood, and also enzymes, so have your liver enzymes within that, so your CMP, it's going to have some, some good um, for the metabolic, how electrolytes are moving, and also glucose, proteins, and enzymes, so we're looking at kidney and liver function a lot with, within that panel. Your ALT and AST, they are enzymes needed for protein metabolism, which happens a lot of places in the body. It's not just your liver, right? So AST and ALT are present in in all tissues, not all, all, but a lot of your tissues, some more specific to others, but a lot are in the liver because it's your main side of protein metabolism. But, right, if we see like excessive muscle breakdown, we see elevations of AST ALT. So that's one that can be skewed in bodybuilders, especially if you train the day before. You could go and have a lab test done. Your AST, ALT will be like really high. Oh my gosh, you have, you have a liver damage. You're like, D- do I? <laughs> and like so that's why I'd say at least take two days off from training do, or do it during a time where you're deloading. You're not creating as much muscle damage occurring.
1: Yeah, and then CBC probably yeah, the cardiovascular risk.
0: Yeah, so your, your CBC would have all, all your blood counts. So your red blood cell count, your white uh-huh. blood cell count, um, platelets, differentials, and hemoglobin, which a lot of issues that we see using um, PEDs is erythrocytosis, polycythemia. So you have an increase in red blood cell production. Yep. And uh, that I've seen debatable things that um, for like risk of like a thrombolytic event and, and like having um, you know platelets you know, coagulate together and, you know, having like a, a risk of a stroke or something, but yeah. but I still see the recommendations that, you know, if your hematocrit levels, the percentage of hemoglobin present is getting so high and your red blood cells are elevated, that it, it should be addressed. And that's usually an indication of them, like a doctor discontinuing TRT therapy, or they're recommending like bloodletting to occur, uh, yeah. just because if the blood is thicker, basically your red blood cell count more concentrated amount on the blood, makes the blood thicker. The blood is thicker. The simple explanation is that's harder to pump. So you can even see like elevations in blood pressure doing it, but also the blood can become more sticky and, and, and um, coagulate together more easily. So that's the risk within that and why that one should be monitored at least for us. And then what, what other one Luke had mentioned was your lipid profile. Yeah. which I would say at minimum have your LDL, your HDL, total cholesterol and triglyceride. Yeah. Um, sometimes they'll calculate it off and you'll give you like a non HDL. And this, this, this is a, this is a dive guys like for cardiovascular, like, well, what about apolipoprotein protein B and what about um, you know, your LDL count, your cell count numbers and that I, we would have to do a whole topic just on that. But the, at the bare minimum, we know skew skewed lipid profile. Typically, we're seeing drop-offs in HDL, uh, which has more of this protective effect. We're going to, I know you—I know we can break it down further, and maybe it's not, maybe, you know. Um, yeah. And then LDL, typically, if you have, and this one I still feel more confident, was if you have a rise in your LDL, which is more of an atherogenic lipoprotein that is an increased risk for cardiovascular disease, um, along with. Cholesterol not being the issue, but the fact that cholesterol is found within LDL and LDL at high levels is atherogenic, that's probably just coupled looking at all those together would be the issue. And then elevated triglycerides, which that might be more indicative of discrepancies in insulin resistance and sensitivity and having poor glucose metabolism and some of that getting converted into triglycerides. So that's at least within our lipid profile. Um, then hormones, like you said, Luke, I think during TRT phases, you do want to see where those are lying. And especially if you're having like symptoms, subjective symptoms outside of what you've seen from past labs. So if you notice like, Hey, libido, if you're a guy or even female libido functions off or fatigue, um, or you're having some type of symptoms of like gynecomastia difficulty losing body fat, um, period irregularities. I mean, there's, there's a good list of things that, to go through to have a full panel of done, but definitely like a total and free testosterone. Usually those are coupled together. Um, estradiol, E2, that's your, your strongest, most potent form of estrogen. Um, usually you'll also get a sex hormone binding globulin along with those. That's not one that I would say is necessary. Um, And then with female, I think DHEAS is is an important one because that, at least in females, plays more of a role in androgens and also gives some insight into adrenal function too. Then I would say a progesterone for females, not as much important for for males. And then prolactin could be justified in certain instances, but usually we're seeing... Estrogen is being an issue and prolactin is also high because estrogen is driver of that. Yeah. Then a full thyroid panel, which at minimum you're going to get a TSH, but that's not too too much. It's not telling because it's, it's like getting an aluminizing hormone and not a testosterone level. It's like, well, how much is that signal actually telling your getting your body to produce? So that's why we'd want free levels of thyroid um, T4 and T3 I think in a dieting state, it makes sense to have a reverse T3 yep. uh, because the, the stress induced from just being in a calorie deficit can get some of your T4, instead of going to T3, can get into, converted into reverse T3. And that um, could be indicative of what we want to do for intervention wise. Yep. So um, I do have some other add ons that could be in place. And it's, these are ones that might just be dependent on what we've seen in past labs. We already mentioned Cystatin C. Um, I'd say GGT. Yeah, which is, uh, I think the gamma glutathione transferase. I think <laughs> it's uh, it's another it's another protein enzyme need for protein metabolism. But it's very it's much more specific to liver function than AST and ALT. So if you're seeing like this ongoing elevation AST ALT, you might throw a GGT on there to have some further insight into the, like, hey, is this really liver related or is it more training related? Um, hemoglobin A1C, you might yeah. see it, you might not. I think if you are doing like a once a year lab or even every six month lab, this one is reflective of every three months, what's your average blood glucose. So you might have a morning where like yeah, blood glucose is great, or you might have a morning where you slept bad, you had your labs drawn and blood glucose was really poor. and then you're like, oh, great. Well, what does that even mean? Well, if you had your A1C, you would know the average over the past three months. And uh, so it doesn't make sense to testing it so frequently, but you know, you could add that one on. Um, And then within that too, I think there's some uh, inflammatory markers that we could look at. And especially if you're seeing these issues with, with blood glucose, which would be a fasting insulin level. And I think this is coupled well with inflammation and really inflammation I think is the background driver of insulin resistance. So if we're seeing maybe your blood glucose is normal, but you're requiring a high amount of insulin to keep it normal. So this is before we even see blood glucose rising. then you're really probably producing a lot of insulin by that point. You're really stressing the beta cells of the pancreas. So a fasting insulin level could be added on. Now it's not that pricey, I usually add it on anyway. Yeah. And uh, then within that, sometimes we can get a like a C reactive protein as well, because that is a generalized inflammatory factor produced by the liver. It doesn't give much like s- specificity, like where is this inflammation occurring in the body, but we would know in general that there is this inflammatory process c- occurring. Then I would say with age, um, a prostate specific antigen would be another to add on for our older bodybuilders or if you're getting into your thirties, that might, and you're using Peds, that might be something to, to start looking at. But I think that would be pretty comprehensive. I think the the standard ones to go with, like your CP, CBC and your lipid profile would be like the ones that you could do and wouldn't have a lost lot of cost associated with it. Then you could dive into these other ones. If you really need to, if you see something pop up
1: on your normal, um, other labs that we, we had just mentioned. And depending on where you pull labs from, some of these other ones are included as well. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know PSA is included in private MD labs one, so that's a good one. And there's there's, depending on the company too, some of these auxiliary ones will be in the comprehensives already, so.
0: I mean, just to give, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not compensated in some way by these websites, but the life extensions, um, weight loss p- panel, yeah. That one has a, most of these I talked about in it. And I think it's pretty reasonable. Like it's usually around at least for the, for us it's $300 I've seen it on sale for like 200 a few times, which is very, very reasonable for everything included. The only issue is like, at least in the U S there's some States that you can't use it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's a lot some of the East coast state like New Jersey, New York, I mean, Pennsylvania, I don't know the other states, but you have to look they say on there which one on there. Yeah. You know, and, and so um, that that could be one to look at that kind of covers it all. It's like Johnny talked about all this, what's one like go look at that one because it, it it covers a lot of ground there. Uh, and, and just I wanna address it because if you're like well shit, I live in one of these states, so what do I do? There are some like at home. A saliva test you can do there's some at-home blood tests you can do or even urine tests that where you could get some of these markers done some of them you can't measure like that but that's that's a way that you could uh another option too that's a really good test is like a dutch test and that is a a mix of salivary and your urinary yep and it's very comprehensive at least for hormone testing so I have had some females that, you know, hey, I can't get this, these labs drawn off Well, We could use urinary or or, or sal- salivary tests. And the Dutch test is really, really good. Uh, yep. But I just wanted to, like, give that a brief mention um, in case you're in one of these other
1: states with restrictions. And then I think that kind of moves us into what are we doing on a more yeah. frequent basis as far as tracking. We made it. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> it's, it's hard, man, because you, like, you kind of walk through some of that blood work and i'm like well we could go in into- i know the- i know like the lipids and like and all that kind of stuff because it only tells you so much on those surface tests and then you you have to figure out more to to know how how much the issue is right and then yeah. kind of deeper so uh, but as as far as like going into day to days um, resting heart rate i like to do uh, okay. as like a day to day marker of Um, fatigue state and like how someone is handling whatever we're doing. Um, It's not something I obsess over. Um, And if you actually use like an aura ring, most of the metrics it gives you is based off of resting heart rate. I will say that an aura ring is a little bit heavily dependent on resting heart rate. Um, So take it with a grain of salt. Um, So resting heart rate, um depending on the intervention that's being done or where someone is at blood glucose is a good one to keep track of
0: hey Uh, before you before you move on the aura ring like do you do heart rate
1: variability with that i don't because of like how long it takes to build out that heart rate variability right i i mean you can and i'll if if someone has a aura ring i'll have them like just report the data but most of the time i'm just following resting heart rate because you can kind of follow that where someone trends as far as like fatigue state versus
0: yeah i think some of that's like a psychological kind of some screwiness with it if like someone wakes up and they're like resting heart rates higher they're like oh shit i'm fatigued maybe i should take a a deload session and it's like maybe it's just higher because of just a measurement (laughs) error or maybe you just slept bad that doesn't mean you're just gonna have a bad training session like there's a level of fatigue that's okay um but i think it seems like some of the subjective stuff is kind of like going to be more pertinent than that. And you can't let those objective measures drive a, a poor decision process. Right. Yeah, for sure. It's like, Oh, my heart rate's okay. Well, how do you feel? Oh, dude, I feel fucking terrible. That's like, but my heart rate's <laughs> good. So I'm going to go train today. It's like, uh, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, yeah, but I just go off my ordering or it's, or it's the opposite. You know, um, yeah, like sure. I feel amazing but my aura ring says my, I, I shouldn't train. It's like, okay, well, what do you wanna do? It's like, well, I'd go off my aura ring because aura ring is the fucking all be all power. Um, so I don't know, I, I think it's good stuff to monitor, but put the big picture together too and don't get obsessive on like one objective measure and
1: you know, the like you miss the forest for the trees type, type of deal, right? And it's not something I'll have that person do year round typically only like if i'm a little bit concerned of like where the stress state is at at the moment yeah some more information if it doesn't stress that individual out but
0: i've seen possibly. i've seen heart rate variability on prep like because someone had that data tracked. It showed it when they prepped and that there was a you know over the course of their 20-year prep there was a, a decline of heart rate variability mm-hmm. and so i think long term it sure it shows these things but on an acute standpoint it's just not a lot to go off of and it's like off that long-term trend. Like, well, yeah, okay. Uh, there's nothing we can do, like. That's gonna happen. Like, it's not much
1: I can do about it. Yeah, um, and you know that you're in a state of fatigue the entire time of prep, right? So it's like, how much do you really need a an aura ring to tell you that that's the case, right?
0: Sure. Some of the do you
1: do you use the sleep
0: data off of it? Like, if you're noticing, hey, my my deep sleep is declining this
1: much, or I have, but again, I, in the same case of the resting heart rate, I'll probably lean more on the subjective feeling of rest, of wellness, right? Yeah. yeah. So, like do you feel refreshed when you wake up. Are you ready to take on the day? Are you taking naps nap throughout the day? Do you mind race when you try to go to bed or are you falling asleep? Well, I, I think that that's probably, I love metrics and I love data, but I think that there's a cross line. And I think if your O ring tells you you slept like shit, but you wake up and you feel great all day. Yeah, agreed.
0: I haven't looked into the, the research on these O rings and like how what you know what how reliable and you know are are they like as far as like accuracy of measure and stuff, but yeah. Um, I imagine a ring on your fingers, there's limitations within that. Yeah. But I think still going off subjective data would still be okay. And using some type of fatigue scale yeah, might be more indicative of like seeing detriments and performance or not for that day. And then just going to train, like, yes, training was shit. Okay. Then we can do something about it. But um, anyway, go on, Luke. Sorry. <laughs> I had to talk, I had to like pull that out and see what, how you used it. But
1: blood pressure tracking is definitely one as well, especially um being in kind of like an off-season state just because we know that that's going to be trending higher there relative to prep um but it is good to continually track across prep as well um blood glucose blood glucose is one that i'll typically track with the presence of high food and or compounds that are going to skew
0: blood. hey, glucose hey real quick how often how often do you monitor blood pressure like for if you're if like off season
1: i do i do once a week i i but that's because I know where my blood pressure trends. I like to see people pull it two or three across a week if we're still trying to create a trend line because okay. you got to be able to create that trend line first, see where like because if you're constantly pulling it on a Thursday where stress might be the highest for you, we might be getting like a stress induced blood pressure response. And so for me, it's like if I can pull it a couple of times across the week, I can get a better average trend line of where they're trending depending on stress states right which not to say you shouldn't see where your blood pressure is at in a stress state um, but i think it's going to be more depending on the trend line you've built with someone like starting off
0: hey I'm monitoring blood pressure just start doing this let's do it three times a week get some averages over maybe the first month okay yep. you're good let's back this down we can monitor it once a week maybe we rotate the days would you say um and then if you're still good, that's great. If this is a constant issue or the, the, for the, the environment changes, right? It's like you go from maybe TRT cruise to now I'm like pounding down gear or something uh, or body weight's changing. It's like, okay, maybe that once a week we we might need to jump back up to more frequent monitoring. We see like some acute ones, like two weeks in a row, these things are popping up high. It's like, well, hey,
1: let's monitor it you know, every other day this week and see what you're really at. Yeah, and, and it's it's especially like kind of when, like you said, when you're going to that state where the implementation of an ARV, like Thomas Larkin, maybe on the scope to be able to include, it's like I need a better track of like where you're at pre implementation plus post implementation, so we see what that does to your overall um, blood pressure as a whole.
0: Right on, and, and like these monitors, they're 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 accessible and I, they're not you know um too
1: costly i got mine off though that's what i run into is people just buy a cuff and it's like 150 over 90 and i'm like jesus dude what's going on and they send me the cuff and it's like a a normal size like medium okay (laughs) yeah let's let's get a larger xl or even an obesity cuff if you have to so that we can yeah. You can just buy
0: an extra large cuff and the little yeah. wrist monitors. I've just seen those be too inconsistent with me. Um, I, you need one that goes on the upper arm. Mm-hmm. That's like a, 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 you know, a digital readout. Don't, I'm going to get a stethoscope and do it myself. Like yeah, I gonna do that. Uh, like I, I, mine is my brand is a life source, um, an upper arm blood pressure cuff and I have an extra large cuff. Even Renee can use it like, and it's, it it like for what compared to other times we've gone to the doctor and have it measured, it's it's been pretty right on. So, um, yeah, I, I agree totally with with doing it like once a week. And then if you're new implementation to blood pressure monitoring or other phases, that maybe you should should get some averages over the course of the week to really see where you're at. I use
1: my wife, so no help there. <laughs> right on. Uh, blood glucose. Yeah. Yeah. Blood
0: glucose. So, uh, that's an, an e- easier one to monitor more, more frequently. Um, and I've seen, well, at least like from the health aspect, like working kind of backwards, uh, what, what are the issues? And we've talked about this chronic state of inflammation that can occur with high PED usage, high body fat, um, high body weight, uh, just chronic high food, and that driving this inflammatory process, high insulin levels, leading to high glucose levels. So what can we do at the acute level at home to try to monitor this process, which the inflammatory process is is probably what's driving a lot of the disease states that we see within a lot of the organ systems. And blood glucose is the fine down acute marker that we can monitor that might then later give us a rationale into some other of the testing that we do, and so it's easy to get a, a gluco meter. they're very accessible and you can do just a finger prick and see what your blood glucose is and you know as far as um, testing you know this would be something to do first first thing in the morning um, I usually say you know make sure it's on a night where you've had good sleep. Um, but if not, that's okay. You just know like sleep is going to affect blood glucose. Even the stress from the day prior is going to affect blood glucose. So it was like high training stress or like I've had guys like that, that was the night they had their cheat meal. Like my blood glucose was high the next day. It's like, yeah, (laughs) you're probably still digesting (laughs) your food, (laughs) you know? Um, so you kind of, you still want to definitely be like in in a fasted state. Um, but these are things to just kind of be thinking about when you're checking blood glucose. Like cortisol is going to drive up blood glucose as well, and um, so this could even be like what we are seeing in, with some other issues that could occur with if you're having like you know there's disease states that drive up cortisol or even hormone irregularities within estrogen and progesterone regulation, um, or even like PCOS, PCOS with with females that might give some insight into like blood glucose and why we should have been monitoring, but in general it's kind of like this on this long-term acute inflammatory process that we're looking at from a bodybuilding perspective. Like we, um, you, I won't say you, you know, you might see as these blood glucoses are rising, poor partitioning of calories towards more towards body fat and less towards lean tissue. Mm-hmm. I think once you're seeing that, um, I've seen I've seen that already happen before you see blood glucose issues, right? So you can just see someone getting getting softer, um, more of the swollen look. Uh, you increase food and you, just, you you don't see you know they are starting to lose pumps. Training performance isn't as, yeah. as great. You like all these things are going on, and then it's like oh yeah, and then blood glucose is like elevating along with that. So um, yeah. keeping blood glucose as a good spot has like some good metabolic thing aspects to as well um but i think it's interrelated to the health aspect we're monitoring yes so low infl- low inflammatory state, i think you're going to be able to grow more efficiently and, and
1: have more lean mass and, and less body fat doing it that way which all of this is 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 interesting because it provides a new perspective of like needs analysis across something outside of the training right like you never hear the term needs analysis used in like PED deployment based on blood work or direction of, of the plan based on these markers that we're talking about for like tracking inflammatory markers across the, across time and response to food. Like you can take a concept that's used within a training setting a lot of times and a needs analysis and use the data that we're given to create that plan from that needs analysis for that individual, which is um, kind of like the whole reason we're here talking about these health markers. But on the day-to-day, is there anything else that you are doing? With-
0: um, no, I, I mean, just to end on that glucose monitoring um, for people that do check it, uh, just I, I would drink some water prior. So if you wake up um, when, with large water drops overnight, that could uh, skew. The results um that would be the main thing <laughs> uh and then you know if you're, if you're seeing to elevate then that might be And you, in how often you should be testing it um i i would say usually two to three times a week is pretty easy yeah you know that's pretty easy to do i think if you're like always trending good i understand like pricking your finger and the cost of the strips that that come along with those glucometers so at least getting them like once a week but again there's like variability with the testing itself. So I think you need some frequent testing to see those those average trend lines. Um, but that's at least the, the frequency that I would say to test with and that for, for other rationale, this to start gets into the, when we might consider deployments of, well, if you're yeah. using growth hormone for one, I would say you definitely need to be monitoring it. Uh, absolutely, if you're using insulin and uh, monitoring blood glucose is how you're gonna be determining what you should be doing for insulin. Um, and that even gets into like postprandial glucose monitoring, postprandial response because we can have a fasting blood glucose and that's a an resting state. But then, how do you have a response to food and uh, especially a high amount of food? And so, that might be give indication of like okay, after my training meal, my blood glucose stays elevated for so long, or after this one meal, you know. Um, and then, well, let's that's when we could. Base off how much insulin you might be needing and then monitor, then adjust the insulin regimen off of that. Uh, these, you know, I could go on a rant, but you know, regimens says like you take 10 IUs here, it's like, well, oh, how do you know that? Well, I don't know, that's just what I give out to all, all the clients. You know, you take 10 IUs post workout, it's like, well, how do you know? How do you know that isn't dropping too much or not enough? It's like, oh, well, we don't monitor blood glucose. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, <laughs> uh, so. Yeah. So that's, that's, it gets into also like implementing other tools that we have in the toolbox to make sure that we are continuing to be op- optimized our our new nutrients that we're using. Um, but, you know, other things I'm monitoring, I think those, I think that covers like the main
1: ones. Um, yeah. And I think that provides perspective from like large scale to, to minor scale. And it even kind of gets into some of the like touched on like the deployment aspect outside of the health, right. Like, and how it can, and decision-making from a coaching perspective too um, for deployments of, of, of other things, right? So um, I don't think there's anything else. Well, man, that's
0: it. That covers it. I think, you know, I'd like to hear back from y'all. You know, you can leave in if you're watching this on, on YouTube, you can leave in the comments below. If there's a specific area that of, of what we talked about today that you want us to go deep dive on or if you're listening to like Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, you, you, you could DM us or something like that or email us and um, we, we could dive in further there.
1: Yep. Without a doubt. That was great.
0: Well, all right guys, we'll talk to y'all next time. Thanks again for tuning in and all, all the support as always. J3U podcast until next time.